Hi there. Thanks for downloading and listening to the 4 Million Years Later podcast. This is a show where two old friends get together and watch an episode of the Generation 1 Transformers cartoon in story order and then compare our experiences from when we watched it as children, never fell out of love with the show, then look at it again as grown-ups and see where we agree with our younger selves, where we disagree with our younger selves, and, you know, really just do like a deep analysis of this cartoon series and do a little bit, maybe a lot, of rationalizing the odd choices that happen when you have a project of this complexity with so many different pieces and so many different motivations. My name is Jersey Drozd. I'm a cartoonist and teaching artist. The other host is named... Hoover. You couldn't mix it with Masquerade. You couldn't mix your name. Hooverade sounds like some bad drink <laughs> from the 80s. <laughs> That's for your deep, deep down body thirst. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I like I like my Hooverade unsweetened because <laughs> unhappy children are my favorite kind of children. <laughs> so I'm, I'm making references to past episodes, everybody. If you're new to the show, and you can go back and listen to them. So yeah, what are we talking about? We're talking about something with aid in it. Masquerade. This is our 64th episode. 64. Good Lord in heaven, we're almost done with season two. There's only one more episode after this in season two. Wow! So this this is this week and next week are our last weeks in the eighties. No. <laughs> what are you talking about? In the in the nineteen eighties. Yeah, because after the, the last episode of season two, oh. we move forward to two thousand five. <laughs> <laughs> I know the episodes aired in the eighties. I was there. <laughs> yeah, I, I was thinking air dates. Uh, I'm talking about story. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I know, sorry. Because there are people who have never heard of Transformers the movie. <laughs> Episode 64 is Masquerade. Who wrote it? This is by Donald F. Gloot. We haven't right. read this name in a while. And he wrote Divide and Conquer. Mm. SOS Dinobots. Yeah. War of the Dinobots. Hooray. Heavy Metal War. Uh-huh. Autobot Spike. Huh. The Autobot Run. Oh. <laughs> Dinobot Island 1 and 2. Hey! And Megatron's Master Plan 1 and 2. Dog lunch. Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Donald F. Glute. This is, this is a fellow who helped shape the early Transformers cartoon. And here he is back to help close out Season 2. Oh, my gosh. Is it time for me to do the cold IMDb logline read? Right after I tell everyone that they can watch this at Season ah. 2, Episode 41 on Tubi.tv. Now, this is not quite near the end. You have to go back a little bit. Yeah. Because it aired out of script order. Ah, that's that's what you mean by story order, when we say that at the top of every episode. So this is the, the script order that we're following. So this actually aired before The Revenge of Bruticus and Starscream's Brigade. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yep. Okay. All right, so now everybody go to tubi.tv, T-U-B-I.tv, or if you're like some of our more dedicated and adventurous four million years later listeners, you'll break out your DVDs or VHS tapes <laughs> and play it off of that. But either way, go watch it, pause the podcast, watch it, come back, and then let's see how your opinion stacks up to ours. And you can always go to our Facebook page and agree or disagree with us about what we're about to explore together as we analyze this story. What's the story this time? The IMDb logline usually gives us a hint. Here we go. 
the Autobot secretly poses as Stunticons in an effort to discover Megatron's secret plans. <laughs> possess a Stunticons. Possess a Stunticon? Wait a minute. The Autobot secretly possess a Stunticons? Poses a Oh, poses as Stunticons. Poses God. a Stunticons. They okay, secretly so poses a Stunticons. <laughs> so it should have been. The Autobot secretly pose as Stunticons in an effort to discover Megatron's secret plans. Yeah. There we go. Pose we as fixed a it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so that's what the masquerade is. It's been, it's, we know now the Autobot's going to dress up as Stunticons somehow. They're going to get little <laughs> masks on sticks and hold them in front of their faces and be like, oh, I'm Motormaster. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, how does this one begin, Hoover? Well, as we begin, we descend under the sea to Decepticon, and whoa, here's a surprise. The Stunticons are actually at headquarters. Mm. Megatron is giving them orders to secure three components he needs for something. And immediately, immediately, Starscream is up to his old M.O., crapping on all of Megatron's plans. You're a fool, Megatron! You can't trust those reckless Stunticons with such an important mission! Quiet, Starscream! Their unique transformation powers make them the perfect choice! We're ready to roll, Megatron! Me, Motormaster, Dragstrip, Wildrider, Dead End, and Breakdown! Well, that was very introductory of Motormaster here. So with their mission understood, Soundwave sends the big tube elevator into the sky and the Stunticons fly out. Now, Jersey, were you disappointed when they all didn't pile into a boat? Yes. Anyhow, they land on a beach and Motormaster gives out orders to the other four. Here's where we split up! Drag strip and dead end, your assignment is a swipe component number one! Breakdown and wild rider, you grab component number two! And the last one's for me! Stunticons, let's transform! <laughs> Component 1, Component 2, you couldn't give them names? These feel like placeholder names in the script that never got changed. Mm. Also, when everyone's getting their orders, Dead End has his arms across his chest because the dude is just over everything. What a standout character. That's true. Th this episode, I feel like Dead End really does a Spencer Tracy and just eats the scenery <laughs> and steals all of the scenes. We learn more about the Stunticons this one. I feel like we learn the most about Dead End. And I don't even want to say learn the most about in terms of like, oh, we learn his backstory. We learn his history. We learn the context of why he's in this team. Nope. We just get like, <laughs> he hits his character notes every time. Whereas everybody else is like, okay, I kind of got a sense of who you are. But yeah, every time Dead End's in the scene, you kind of only notice him. <laughs> well, then we cut away to the arc where Ratchet is giving Ironhide a tune-up. Ironhide asks Ratchet to soup him up so he can run down the Stunticons. But Ratchet retorts, You're just fine as is, Ironhide. That's not Don Messick. I'm afraid this is voice director Wally Burr filling in again. So I'm pretty sure we may never hear Don Messick do Ratchet ever again. Oh. The Spike chimes in that besides, the Stunticons are crazy. <laughs> Very coincidentally, Teletran 1 then picks up the Septicon energy emissions moving at high speed on the ground level. It's the Stunticons. Prime has Wheeljack get a lock on their signal and we cut away. This this episode has a lot of accelerated 
hitting the story beats because it, you really get a sense when you watch this one that like, oh, they only had 21 minutes <laughs> to do what they <laughs> needed to do. So when we see the Autobots, yeah, we just saw the Stunticons. Now the Autobots are talking about the Stunticons. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's some stuff happening with Starscream later on where it's like, yeah, I see why you did that. But that was really, you made it happen because you only had so many minutes to do this episode. <laughs> this one feels really squished together that way. But like that scene where it's like, okay, the Stunicons are doing a mission. Let's go to, go to Autobot headquarters. And what are they talking about? Well, they talk about the Stunicons. How odd. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of stuff that I feel like when people point at these old cartoons, go like, oh, you know, it wasn't good writing. Like, I get you. I get you. But at the same time, it you don't have a ton of room for subtlety with these time constraints. So I will allow it. <laughs> but before we move on to the next scene, here we have Ratchet, Ironhide, Bumblebee, Wheeljack, and Prime all hanging around the base with Spike. Definitely more season one characters than we are used to seeing. And spoiler alert, this episode is essentially our fond farewell to a lot of these characters, and I will let you know who exactly later on. For now, we cut away to a building labeled Republic Optics Company, where we see a scientist putting a new lens into a telescope. He takes a look through it, and he sees Wild Rider and Breakdown zooming down the road, and somehow he can see that they have no drivers. So he does what every other human does in the show, assumes it's the Autobots. The pair pull up to the building and transform, shooting through the wall of the building, and approaching the scientist who just watched his wall get destroyed and yet made no attempt to run away. <laughs> Wild Rider picks him up and threatens him. We've come for your new laser lenses! Where are they? The man can only point to the table at an oddly shaped purple device. Wild Rider literally tosses the scientist aside and grabs the purple device, transforming and speeding off with breakdown following suit. Man, Breakdown is a strong silent type. We've only heard him speak twice in the entire series so far. Let's cross our fingers that we get number three today. Now before we change scenes, I'm curious about these laser lenses, and I'm going to posit a Hoover theory. Because we never made a theme. 63 episodes, or 64 episodes, we never made a theme, so here it is, finally. Hoover theory. So this invention has probably gotten some media attention, whatever it does, and my theory is that Megatron saw this thing in a news report, saw that it was purple, <laughs> and he was like, oh, I must have it. Because Megatron has a huge purple collection. That's true. It's obviously <sighs> his favorite color. Which leads me to another theory. Hmm. You know how the Shockwave toy was licensed from another company, and the original toy was actually gray? Well, mm -hmm. I posit that Shockwave the character was also originally gray. And one day he finds out that Megatron <laughs> loves purple. And when you know it, the very next day Shockwave walks in and he's purple. Like he's some 1950s girl getting her hair done to impress a boy. Oh, man. Shockwave <sighs> keeps finding excuses to stand right in Megatron's line of sight, just fishing for a compliment that he never gets. <laughs> gosh your fanfics about shockwave are the best <laughs> and if you say okay hoover cute theory but now you've gone a bit too far to which i retort watch transformers animated and see that there's precedent for shockwave turning from gray to purple it all fits people 
Just embrace my fanon as the primus's honest truth. <laughs> I I have subscribed to your newsletter already, so you don't need to tell me. But also, I have something to say about this scene with the scientists. I also love this 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 whole idea that they keep doing in these series. Is like, how do you know it's a scientist, Hoover? How can you tell? Could it be the giant lab coat that he's wearing? <laughs> giant lab coat, bow tie, and glasses. It's, it's like that's like the sunbow. <laughs> platonic ideal of scientist i have to go back and actually look to see there was that one what was it was it attack of the autobots where we met that really awesome adventure scientist who like like outfoxed ratchet and ironhide throughout her the, the building i wonder if she had the lab coat i know mm. she had glasses yeah she did she definitely had glasses i remember that so yeah she was the one that we were like well why isn't there a series about her she was amazing <laughs> But yeah, it's just it's just so funny that just it's such a stereotype, and I wonder if they would do that in a modern cartoon. Oh, actually, Isaac Sumdak did have a lab coat. Holy cow! That's just like <laughs> it's just that that's the symbol for a scientist. It's always a white lab coat. Okay. <laughs> anyway, we cut away to an army base where some troops are loading an experimental generator onto a truck, but it's not purple. Then suddenly, Dragstrip and Dead End speed in and crash through the entrance gate. I wonder if this is the same army base that the Stunicons raised back in the Key to Vector Sigma. Dragstrip transforms and addresses the troops. Don't worry, soldier boys! We'll just be here long enough to pick up a little souvenir! Dragstrip grabs the generator and he and Dead End speed off. We then cut to the city museum where two security guards talk about guarding the world's biggest, most perfect ruby. <laughs> <laughs> this is that accelerated storytelling I'm talking about. <laughs> Cut to new scene. We're at a museum. Boy, I sure do enjoy guarding the world's most perfect ruby, don't you? <laughs> it is a perfect ruby. How about that ruby that's perfect? I know. <laughs> I sure hope nobody comes and steals it. <laughs> well, then they hear some commotion. And suddenly, Motormaster drives through the wall and transforms, sifting through some of the other things in the museum before he gets to the ruby. The security guards fire on him to no avail as Motormaster simply takes the ruby, transforms, and speeds away. Something I want to bring to people's attention if you decide to watch this one is there. this one is a very horizontal episode. And what I mean is, is that there's a lot of left-to-right and right-to-left panning to make a scene feel more widescreen than it is. The animation is okay. It's fine. It's serviceable. It's not super awesome. Like, we're getting to the point where the transformations are becoming kind of like, they sort of like just morph into, <laughs> it's more like an Animorphs transformation <laughs> turning into their vehicle mode. You don't actually see the parts moving around like you did in season one. But they compensate for that in a way by doing a lot of these left-to-right pans. And when we see the security guards firing on Motormaster, with lasers, by the way, yellow <laughs> lasers. They make laser noises. So, wow. I... I want to be part of the security team in this museum. If I could have laser tag, that works. But as they're firing, I'm like, the, it, we follow the laser across to the right, and it pans over as we see Motormaster getting hit and not being affected by it. And then he transforms, just drives through the hole. Also, I like the scene where Motormaster smashes in, and he just like starts like knocking stuff over for no reason. Like, you could keep all this other junk, and then he reaches for it, the world's perfect ruby, and then runs away. So I, I like that he couldn't steal it without also wrecking up the place a little bit. That feels very Stunticon-ish. <laughs> well, back at the arc, Wheeljack reports that Teletran 1 has located all five Stunticons. Prime addresses the handful of Autobots to his left, Grapple, Hoist, Inferno, Blaster, and Bumblebee. They all transform as Blaster lands in Spike's hands and the pair get into Bumblebee. They all leave the arc for some Stunticon hunting. 
We cut back to Wild Rider and Breakdown speeding down a road en route to a rendezvous point. But Inferno, Grapple, and Hoist come from the other direction and block their path, transforming to robot mode. This does not deter Wild Rider as he just speeds towards the Autobots. Breakdown actually speaks up and tells Wild Rider to wait. But nothing's going to stop Wild Rider now. He zooms past the Autobots and continues on his way. But Inferno isn't having this. A near miss deserves a couple of near missiles! Inferno fires on Wild Rider, but he's just too agile. Breakdown complains about these antics. He's gonna jeopardize the mission! And then we see Breakdown laying an oil slick behind him, which Grapple uses to his advantage. Time to add fire to the fuel! Grapple shoots at the oil slick, causing it to catch fire, and the fire spreads all the way up to Breakdown, causing him to catch fire as he's speeding away. Inferno reluctantly puts him out, just as Wild Rider loops back to assist his teammate. But Hoist says, This time I'm ready for you! As a well-timed blast manages to stop Wild Rider, sending him tumbling over and flipping onto his roof. The three Autobots stand victorious over their two opponents. So I had to screen cap this last moment because you have like these three chunky, two British-ish <laughs> Autobots standing triumphant over the Stunticons. The Stunticons, <laughs> Hoover, they have proven to be some of the most dangerous Decepticons thus far in the series. And these three guys took down two of the Stunticons. So I love that, first of all. And Grapple. Oh, Grapple got to talk again. <laughs> oh, I groaned when you talked when I was a child, Grapple, and I'm sorry for that because now whenever <laughs> you're on the screen, I'm really happy. But yeah, also at this point, like when they stop Wild Rider, they shoot out from under him like they used to and how they've had to in past episodes, and he flips over. But when he flips over, you see his, his hood gets smushed in, and I have a distinct memory as a child going like, wait a second, wait, 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 there's force fields. They have force fields. What <laughs> are their force fields? I saw them driving through rocks earlier and driving through trees and everything. How come you just like shot a missile under him and he flipped over and bashed his hood, and now he's unconscious? That's weird. I, I have a feeling we're going to have more to say about that pretty soon. But the last thing is, is this is more of an idiosyncratic thing that I want to share that I just want to like ask any other Transformers fans or just Sunbow fans out there if they had the same experience. Is You would hear these expressions in this episode or in these cartoons that you didn't hear on the playground every day. They were idiomatic. Like, for instance, when Breakdown is on fire and Inferno says, I'm going to hate myself in the morning, and he puts out the fire, right? <laughs> Whenever those kind of lines happened in this show, as a kid, I'd be like, what did that mean? What did that mean? Why is he going to hate himself in the morning? Why is he... And then I would piece it together. Oh, tomorrow he's going to regret the rash decision he's making today, but it's the right decision to make, right? When, he's, when his head is cooler, he's going to regret this, but he's got to do this now, that kind of thing. And whenever that would happen, I would I have like this folder in my brain and be like, put that away. That's how grown-ups talk. <laughs> put put that there for when you want to sound like a grown-up. <laughs> At least that's how my little 11-year-old brain processed this. And so every once in a while, I'll pull out these expressions, not with any kind of flourish to like show off like what a classy guy I am or anything. It's just like I have the folder there. They're there. And so I pull on them because that's language that I've accumulated over years of watching Sunbow cartoons. And I'll say it, and then whoever I'm with will be like, what, have, what are you even talking about? What does that even mean? <laughs> like, oh, uh, well, you know, Duke said it in this episode of Chat Show. <laughs> so I'm asking anybody who's listening to this, if you are a Sunbow cartoon fan, did you do that too when you were a kid? 
or even if you watch it now as an adult, do you watch? Do you do that when you catch these weird expressions like that? Because for me, I don't know. It, I always found that to be. I always leaned in when I didn't quite understand the language that was being expressed there. <laughs> so anyway, two Centicons defeated by three super cute British, two British-ish and one Virginian Autobot. <laughs> super. Well, we cut away to drag strip and dead end on their way back to the rendezvous. Better move it, dead end, or I'll beat you back to the rendezvous point. Big deal. So beat me. Dead end is great. He just can't be bothered to care about anything. Nothing is important to him. It's a great personality for a villainous character because it's so against type. You have this group of villains and usually either they want power or want to hurt people or both. And so far, we aren't really sure what Dead End's in it for. One thing's for sure, his motivations are not the other's motivations. Maybe he's just so intelligent that most everything bores him, so he hangs out with the Decepticons as it at least supplies him with new and interesting experiences. Yeah, I can easily imagine writing a fanfic where he winds up having to help the Autobots, or he winds, not, I wouldn't say having to, because I don't think Dead End, except for serving Megatron, I guess I'll have to do what you say, he doesn't have to do anything, right? He's so detached, he's so aloof from everything, he's so cool. But I could see a, a story where he he finds it more interesting to help the Autobots sometime. Right. And it's, there's some scenario where it's like, that's the more interesting choice. So he does it and he doesn't care. He doesn't even care if Motormaster or Megatron are mad about it because, you know, he, what's he's so eternally bored. He's so <laughs> essentially amoral. Right. He doesn't have any guiding star. So he's just trying to, like, distract himself in his time on Earth. That is a pretty interesting idea for Decepticon, because up to this point, we've either gotten sadists or, mm -hmm. you know, dumb, dumb heavies <laughs> so yeah somebody who's just in it for distracting himself because he's this, an existentialist <laughs> <laughs> especially for a kids cartoon that's pretty that's pretty cool is he chaotic neutral maybe i'm not really up on my D, &D alignments but seems like he may be chaotic neutral like he likes going around and trashing stuff but he's not mm -hmm. evil he just he just entertains him Right. There's no intrinsic motivation behind anything he does. Right. Like that, that, that's that amorality to it. It's like, well, I guess this will do. And, and there's scenes coming up where we get more of that language out of him. So, yeah, this is what I'm saying about him stealing the show. It's like all of his parts are great. And the rest of the Stunicon is like, oh, that, they're, they're good. They're interesting. <laughs> they're cool. But, yeah, Dead End is he stands ahead of everybody in this one. And now we have Warpath and Trax showing up to ruin the Stunticon's day. Bam! Boom! Pow! I'll make that hot rod even hotter! <laughs> and even in this scene, right after he starts firing on them, Dead End himself says, Oh, well, this is at least interesting. That's actually in the dialogue. <laughs> so it like backs up your, your, your theory about him, right? Warpath shoots at Dragstrip but he's able to dodge the blast until another barrage hits him dead on, causing him to crash. And then Dead End continues on, but Trax has switched to his flying mode to give chase. A flying car! How droll! Trax rockets ahead of Dead End, then lands in front of him, shooting him with his darkness gun. You know, his gun that shoots darkness? <laughs> We've seen that a couple times before. 
Yeah, and I I love I love how it's like it's such a playground invention. You know, it's like something <laughs> something you would say when you're playing pretend to the playground. Oh, my gun shoots darkness. Oh, my gun shoots music. <laughs> Trax shoots Dead End's windshield, effectively blinding him, causing him to drive straight towards Warpath, who transforms and punches through Dead End's roof. Looks like somebody didn't recharge those amazingly convenient force fields this morning. Mm-hmm. Warpath and Trax give each other the thumbs up, having defeated their adversaries. So four Stunticons down. This is a first for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, this leaves Prime, Blaster, Spike, and Bumblebee to take on Motormaster. Prime tracks him down with Teletran and waits for him to show up. And he and Bumblebee and, and Blaster are all in their alt modes, just sitting in the road. And Spike is sitting on Bumblebee's hood, holding Blaster. And this is this, this one little frozen moment of peace while they're <laughs> waiting for Motormaster to come. And looking at Spike sitting on Bumblebee's hood like that and realizing that we're coming up to the end of Season 2, I realize we're not going to get much more of this. And I am going to miss watching these two. I seem to remember Bumblebee and Spike having more buddy stories in Season 2. And I'm a little disappointed at how few there were. Mm. <laughs> I could have used a lot more of that. And as I look at this, it, 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 I'm feeling the same kind of pangs. Because when I watched this episode as a child, I had no idea this was coming up in the end of the season. It's just like, well, there's going to be Transformers tomorrow. That's all. And right. I, show up, I show up at 2.30, and they're there. They're always mm-hmm. going to be there, right? But growing up, and suddenly you realize, oh, we're coming up in the end. This happened with Beast Wars. Like, the last episode of season three of Beast Wars, I was like, ah, I kind of, it's hard to enjoy this because I know this is the last time I'm going to see these characters. And, I, and I'm feeling the same kind of pangs as I look at Spike sitting there holding Blaster sitting on Bumblebee's hood. Oh, it's so sweet. And Spike's not going to make anybody make better choices today, I don't think. <laughs> well, then after we saw Season 3 of Beast Wars, and then we saw what came after it, we wished Beast Wars was the last time <laughs> we saw those characters. You had to take a dig at Beast Take machines. that, Beast Machines! <laughs> Zing! actually there are some great things about beast machines Jetstorm, but overall ugly ugly i i need to watch it again there might be more there to mind but yes it was it was it was pretty dark it was it was pretty moody it was a little bit emo and i think i think we were ready for something fun again by the time beast machines ended thank thank goodness (laughs) we got that Soon, Motormaster is approaching them over the bend, challenging Prime to a game of chicken. Spike can't believe Prime is going for it, but we see Motormaster and Prime speeding up towards each other. I've been waiting for this a long time, Prime! two crash into each other dead on as we see a giant explosion. How could they have survived this? You guessed it. It's our first commercial break. So I'm 11 and I'm questioning why the other Stunticons didn't use their force fields. So now I'm starting to put two and two together and Motormaster took all their force fields so he could put them (laughs) all in front of him for this chicken chase with Optimus Prime, which means Optimus is dead. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not ready. I'm not ready for that kind of emotional drama in my life, Hoover. There's no way. There's no way you can help me, or is there? There's always a way when there's money. <laughs> <laughs> 
So this episode is entitled Masquerade, and though we haven't seen just why that is just yet, we find yeah. ourselves with commercials about masquerades and disguise. Mm. Like Mask, where illusion is the ultimate weapon, and powerful weapons are disguised as everyday cars and trucks. Tender of the bike will fill my blade. Engage hover mode, we're going fishing. Mask. Pull on fire! Where illusion is the ultimate weapon. Mask, bulldog, iguana, and bullet each sold separately. New from Kenner. Yeah, motorcycle, it turns into a hover bike. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I didn't remember that one. I knew, you know, Condor, the motorcycle that turned into a helicopter. But a motorcycle whose wheels open up and turn into little fans that can propel you into the air, that's pretty sweet. By the time the cartoon got to these vehicles, they were in full-on last, quote-unquote, season, the racing episodes. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. a very strange turn that series took. It's like, okay, we're Mask. We're Mask fighting Venom, C.I. Joe versus Cobra style. And then the last 10 episodes or so, it's like, okay, we're both going to enter races. Yeah. It's going it to be became... Mask versus Venom speed-wise? Okay. There there were still battles, but yes, it was like every episode was the Trans-Europe Express episode yeah. of the Transformers, right? And, and, it, and Miles Mayhem, instead of being like a global terrorist, was like, I want to win this race. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, boss. I'm going to win this race. You better win this race. Do you have any <laughs> other emotions, boss? No, I just hate Mask. <laughs> <laughs> that's after we're done with four million years later everybody the next one we're going to do is a mask <laughs> podcast <laughs> where it's just us doing bad impersonations of miles mayhem look i like the show too watch it again Whew, it's tough and also there's a lot of problematic stuff truly problematic stuff in mask the stuff that's up really of its time so i wanted to love it but it's hard to love it it, it, it says like don't love me but love me <laughs> <laughs> the main comment I always make on Mask, and I'll make it again, is that it sounds like they turn down everything to five. <laughs> then Sunbow always turns up everything to 11. Yeah. yeah. Mask turns everything down to five. It's like, oh, <laughs> Scott, Scott's in trouble. Oh, no. Oh, no, T Bob, I'm in trouble. <laughs> Scott, I wish you wouldn't go on the mission with us. <laughs> Very dangerous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like when they were recording the dialogue, there was a baby sleeping in the next room, and they couldn't allow themselves to get too loud. Oh, Mask, you were such a cool idea. You had such an amazing theme song. All right, well, I, I yeah, I'm going to get all three. Even, I'm even going to buy the semi that turns into a weird brick thing with guns on it, because they're all cool. So I just bought three vehicles. What else you got? Well, how about this commercial for Sports Popples? Apparently, Popples weren't masculine enough, so they had to make some of them turn into sports balls. Pop your football, Now, Hoover, you didn't grow up where I grew up, where football was the only celebrated activity. So 
I could see how third graders in my hometown would have been delighted to find out that they could have a cuddly friend who turns into a football. So that when dad comes around, they can say, look, I don't have feelings. I'm holding a football. <laughs> and then dad goes away like, oh, I have feelings again. I can cuddle my uh, plushy friend. I, the problem I have with this toy, and I'm not going to buy it, and I'll tell you why. I have a problem with folding my plushy friend into a ball and then kicking him. <laughs> you see these kids kicking the ball. I'm like, but your friend's in there. <laughs> I don't care if they're smiling. That's weird. So no, no, no sports popples for me. Thanks, though. <laughs> well, you could be part of the masquerade yourself and put on some underoos and turn oh. yourself into your favorite character. When you change into Fun Pals and Underoos underwear, you can pretend to change into a hero. Masquerade illusion is the ultimate weapon by the power of Grayskull. He-Man is here! Imagine you can change into all your favorite heroes from Superman to Thundercats with Fun Pals and Underoos underwear. More than meets the eye! The Transformers! With Fun Pals and Underoos, you can change into a hero! Yeah, well, you know, it, I watched this as an adult and I'm like, that is pure silliness clown time. But I was so sold on this idea that if I put on Optimus Prime underpants... I would be like Optimus Prime. Is it really like, do they look like Optimus Prime's underpants? No, it just has a picture of Optimus Prime on it. <laughs> oh, but yeah, I, my little brother had the Boba Fett underoos and like he wore them under his clothes as if they would give him like extra, like superpowers <laughs> at school. I'm going to be braver today because I got my Boba Fett underoos on. <laughs> so there was something about that idea that just like it worked and it shouldn't have worked but it worked <laughs> so yeah i'll get the he-man underpants yes <laughs> don't tell anybody though <laughs> so are we ready to go back to the show and see if optimus is dead because of motormasters five four shields <laughs> Well, as we come back, the pluming smoke obscures everything, and Bumblebee, Blaster, and Spike rush towards their leader to see the results of the collision. And somehow, some way, Prime has come out on top with Motormaster looking very much worse for wear. Spike and Bumblebee celebrate Prime's victory as Prime transforms and holds his aching head. He has Blaster contact the other Autobots, who all report in that the Stunicons have been subdued. Prime then has Blaster jam the frequency so the Stunicons can't radio their teammates. I like when Optimus transforms to robot mode. He doesn't just stand up. He transforms to a crouching position, and he's mm -hmm. holding his head. I really appreciate that, that subtle touch of vulnerability on Optimus Prime's part because one of the ideas that's going to get explored in here very lightly, it's not, it's not really like integrated into the story in any kind of meaningful way, but Megatron's sort of worldview of power means... You're correct, right? Which mm -hmm. we explored in a prime problem. Mm -hmm. And I like this idea that Optimus isn't the best because he's the more powerful one. He's the best because he's the most courageous, the most compassionate, et cetera, et cetera. And so this collision with Motormaster took a toll. There was a cost to doing what he had to do just then. And it's not like, well, of course I won because I'm the strongest and most powerful, because mm -hmm. that makes me the best, right, kids? Right? Wink. <laughs> Wimps need not apply. You don't get to go to Hardee's if you don't knock down your enemies. <laughs> so I like that. I, 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 that's one of those tiny things that I'm not so sure that I picked up on it when I was 11, but I'm glad it's in there for the right kids to find it. So even though we're kind of poking fun at some of the writing, that's like, it's, this is the world's greatest ruby. Oh my gosh, how great it is. 
there's stuff like this too that's I think thoughtfully placed. Well, we cut back to the arc where Ironhide, Wheeljack, and Ratchet watch the other Autobots all tow in the heavily damaged Stunticons. And Breakdown, being hauled in by Grapple, says, They're gawking at us, how mortifying! The word Breakdown is mortifying. My sentiment exactly. I mean for your big word, So the Stunticons are hauled into the base and put behind bars. As long as they're behind those Energon bars, the Stunticons can't emerge to become Menasaur. So here, as we hear that line, we see another cool pan. This whole episode is just full of these left-to-right, right-to-left pans, where we see the Stunticons in the jail cells in the Ark, which we've never seen before. And then it pans past the giant rock, and then we see the Autobots standing in another part of the headquarters. And gosh, we're seeing even more Autobots, aren't we? Hmm. Don't get too attached. Oh. <laughs> The Autobots then try to fathom what Megatron's intent was with the three stolen components. Hound only managed to get a map of a meteorite crater from the Stunicon's databanks, so they at least know where they were going. While trying to put all the information together, Spike bursts in. Hey Optimus, check out the TV news! That guy there works at the optics plant those Stunticons raided. And at first I thought those driverless cars were Autobots. Wild, huh, Optimus? Stunticons mistaken for Autobots? Yes, and it's given me an idea. Hmm, I wonder what that idea could be in an episode entitled Masquerade. We then see Sideswipe and Jazz stepping into a little passageway with Sideswipe saying he hopes the camouflage paint comes off. Camouflage paint? (laughs) We see them both getting sprayed down with a mist as Ratchet projects a hologram onto Windcharger, who suddenly takes on the appearance of Wild Rider. Ratchet says his own designer wouldn't recognize him. So... Yeah, Hoover, can we pause just for a moment on this camouflage paint, which Mm. basically is magic. (laughs) 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 There's no explanation how this works. And this is bananas. You get sprayed with paint and then they put a light on you and then you look like whatever that light hit you is, I guess. (laughs) I seem to remember other magical sprays in this cartoon. (laughs) Don't you? (laughs) Who could forget invisibility spray? Now, at least invisibility spray, you could make a case for how that could work. If it's like a a aerosol mist of light refracting particles, right? That bend light around the object. That could essentially, but to where it's like, oh, I'm going to put this paint on you and then I hit you with a certain light and then you look like whatever that light was in both modes. What? (laughs) It seems like they could have come up with some other explanation for this. <laughs> but th- th- this has always puzzled me. Camouflage paint, eh? Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess it would have been analogous to when we were children. It's like, I'm going to paint you up like a Dracula. I'm going to put the dark circles around your eyes. You put in some plastic fangs. Look, you're a Dracula. Okay. <laughs> I guess I guess maybe that was what the intent was, is like to communicate to us the way we could go in masquerade. But, hmm... I'm, I'm looking side-eye at the story here. <laughs> and then we cut away to Spike and Optimus, who now looks exactly like the Stunicon leader. 
Man, Optimus, you're a dead ringer for Motormaster. Did you have to say dead ringer, Spike? And then Ratchet lays it all out. They're ready, Optimus. The new Stuticons. Breakdown, alias Sideswipe. Dead End, alias Jazz. Wild Rider, alias Windcharger. And Dragstrip? Dragstrip, a.k.a. Mirage. Also standing around the base here are Hound, Prowl, Trailbreaker, Huffer, and Ironhide. So they're really showing as many characters as they can, almost as if they're giving them a chance to say goodbye. Yeah, I have to wonder if that's what they're doing here, because it certainly feels like that. We haven't seen Huffer in forever. We haven't seen Trailbreaker in forever. Yeah. So, and, and Hound got a talking line again? We haven't seen Hound. I don't think Hound's had a talking line since Day of the Machines, maybe? I don't know. It's been a while. It's been a while, right? So this little pan here does feel like it's a little goodbye to everybody. Oh, mixed feelings. <laughs> Before leaving, the faux Stunticons warn the other Autobots to not follow them or radio them lest they spoil the ruse. And then they roll out of headquarters. We cut to them driving up a mountain path following the map that they retrieved earlier. As they drive, they remind each other to use their Stunticon names and act the part. They spot Laserbeak flying above and decide to test their deception with Windcharger driving erratically to pass for Wildrider. They continue driving on a winding road that descends into the bottom of a hill. It, it, it's actually, it looks like a strip mining operation the way it's done. It's, a, it's this giant crater with a sort of road carved out of the side of the ridge of the crater that spirals down in. Right. Mm. And, and that's important to know for what's coming up next is that, so you're basically, I don't know if you've ever driven on those kind of roads, but actually I know you mm. have, because when you visited me, when I lived in Phoenix, remember we went up to South mountain together yeah. and we drove on those mountain roads and it was like, Oh, you look over the side of that, the, the guardrail and it's straight down like 400 feet. That's <laughs> really frightening. <laughs> so it's like that, except there's no guardrail. That's important to know for what's coming up next. But also I have to ask you, how did you feel about Windcharger actually having like speaking lines in this? You get to hear John Stevenson doing his gravelly former smoker, five days from <laughs> retirement guy voice. <laughs> yeah. Again, it's like you said, it's, it's mixed feelings because I know we're not going to see him for much longer. Yeah. So at the top, they have a look down below, and they see a few of the Constructicons and a giant device being built. Laserbeak returns to Soundwave at the bottom of this hill and reports that the Stunicons have arrived. After Megatron complains that they took long enough getting here, he fires his fusion cannon up into the air. Mirage wonders if they're under attack, but Sideswipe thinks it's just a signal to come on down. So they decide to descend to the bottom of the mountain and hope their acting skills are up to snuff. Starscream comments on the fact that no one's duke-boying over anybody else. Strange, isn't it, Megatron? How safely the Stunticons drive today? So as not to damage their stolen cargo, Starscream. Perhaps. Then the faux Stunticons pull up to Megatron and his bunch. Megatron asks about the other components, and Fotermaster says they uh, have nice. them all. We cut back to the Ark to check in with the real Stunticons still behind bars. 
They're trying to figure out how to get word back to Megatron with their radios jammed. And then Wild Rider notices something Breakdown's doing. <laughs> hey, Breakdown, just cause you're scared, you don't have to shake yourself silly. I'm not, but if I vibrate hard enough, maybe I can short out my energon bars. Breakdown revs up and actually crashes through the bars on his cell, freeing himself. But hearing the commotion, Inferno, Grapple, and Hoist enter and find the Stunticon free. Then Breakdown manages to shoot all three Autobots simultaneously, <laughs> somehow, and declares, Everybody out on bad behavior! He shoots the Energon bars, allowing all of the Stunticons to free themselves. And then Hound, Ratchet, Wheeljack, and Ironhide rush in, hearing the commotion. And that scene that you just referenced, oh boy, <laughs> the, anima the animation area here is pretty glaring. I don't know why Ratchet is so tiny. Well, it's a layering air. Oh, Ratchet is that what it is? the furthest back. <laughs> so that cell should have been on the bottom, but they put that cell on the top, making Ironhide look about twice the size as Ratchet. Yeah, it looks like he's like he was just trying out his new masterpiece, Ratchet, for all the other Autobots when, <laughs> when they got distracted. That's what it looks like in that shot. It's like the moment I saw it, I was like, oh, oh, oh boy. They're just in time to see the Stunicons form Menasaur, who then attacks the Autobots, making short work of them. And then Menasaur literally punches his way out of Autobot headquarters and flies off to return to Megatron and expose the Autobots' plan. And we fly off to our second commercial break. Oof. So now, we see the Autobots try to pull off their little masquerade, but you know who is the master of this? Is Zartan, Cobra's <laughs> master of disguise. He's an evil master of disguise. Zartan changes color right before your eyes. Zartan. Introducing Zartan. Zartan changes color in sunlight. There's Zartan. He's escaping in the chameleon. Let's go get him. But Zartan has a disguise. Where's Zartan? I don't know any Zartan. Zartan changes color in sunlight, and Zartan comes with the chameleon. Other figures and equipment each sold separately from Hasbro. I don't know any Zartan. <laughs> <laughs> that, to me, is bonkers. That <laughs> this, this was the big disguise for the Zartan toy. He's got a mask with a beard. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I'm not Zartan. I I'm just happen to be dressed exactly like Zartan. But did you notice that I have no eye makeup and I also have a beard, a beard. and Zartan doesn't? I can't <laughs> be Zartan. Well, I remember that time when I went to Death Valley on vacation. And I came back and I had a full beard and I grew. And then I you know, called you up on Skype and you're like, who is this? Who am I talking to? What happened? Where's Jersey? <laughs> I said, I don't know any Jersey. <laughs> No, I, I, I actually, like, this was one of the most anticipated toys of my childhood, was Zartan mm -hmm. and the Swamp Skier. Why, Jersey? Did you really like the idea of a master of disguise? Did you like the fact that he looked like he walked off the stage from a Kiss concert? No, he <laughs> turned blue when you put him in sunlight. That somehow was enough. <laughs> like, and I... I've tried to have an interview with my 11-year-old self. Like, okay, come on. Like, dig into this further. What is it about turning blue that's so cool? I don't know. He's blue. He's not blue. I put him in sunlight. He's blue. Right? <laughs> and it's like we talked about, like, the rub-off stickers that they made mm -hmm. for late, like, the later series of Transformers. And, like, there was those thermometers that were made out of the same technology. It was a little strip of plastic you put on your head and the right 
temperature would glow the color of whatever temperature you were that felt like such absurd future <laughs> technology if something changed color hypercolor t-shirts i remember having the exact same reaction like i must have one and then like somebody <laughs> pointed out the obvious implications of a hypercolor t-shirt like you know what's going to happen your chest and pits are going to be a different color the rest of your body all the time <laughs> oh yeah that's not a good look <laughs> <laughs> But the idea of something changing color when it's reacted by something, sold. <laughs> I also did like that he came with a little mask that went in his backpack and everything. But yeah, there's the obvious problem is like, okay, he's got a mask on, but the rest of his body's blue as he's standing <laughs> in the sun, like going like, I don't know what he's are, Dan. Eyes shift back and forth quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never really played with a mask that much because even, let's see, this was about 1984 and I would have been about eight I was like, uh, I don't think this mask is going to fool anybody, so I'll just leave that in the backpack. Oh, wow. Yeah, I I thought it was one of the greatest toys I've ever received in my life. <laughs> uh, I really, really loved it. And, I, and what's funny is I like the character of the cartoon. Don't love him. He's not my favorite G.I. Joe character or anything like that. I like him fine. I think he's, he's an interesting... He's like probably one of the most interesting, interesting things about the second miniseries. But the toy, for some reason, the fact that he came with this cool swap skier that you assembled yourself, you could take it apart and put it in the junk pail that he could drag <laughs> around, right? So, yeah, it's like Master Disguise, I turn into weird, vagabond junk collector. <laughs> <laughs> Wearing the same outfit as Zartan. Yeah, Hugo, he is not. But you know what? Hugo doesn't turn blue, so Zartan wins for me. I'm buying two Zartans. So what else can I buy? Well, another expert at disguising themselves is Jerrica Benton, better known as Jim. And here Whoa. we see that even Jim's dressing room is disguised. Whoa. I'm rocking those feet outside. Jim's dressing room on the inside. Plug in. Plug in your music. Play the best. We got, we got Jim's outfit totally fresh. Jim's got a rock backstager. Jim's rock backstager. Jim's wardrobe and Jim and her friends sold separately. Jim. Did that speaker actually work? It showed a kid plugging in yeah. a tape deck. That is yeah. so cool. <laughs> <laughs> that is a really cool toy. It's like her dressing room. You have her get ready for the concert, and then you close it, and then it's like a giant stack that she could be singing into. And you could play your gem tape through it. What a neat thing. I'm sure I... it was all kinds of terrible sounding, but it functioned as far as I know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is a really cool idea for a toy. I bought it. It's it's in the cart. It's in the cart right now. So with my two Zartans, thank you. I had I did not remember this thing at all. And I think that's really neat. And finally in the eighties, those cheap Ben Cooper brand masks and ridiculous <laughs> plastic smocks ruled Halloween. But if you wanted to be different, you had a kooky spooks costume and wore a crazy inflatable face on top of your head. The kooky spooks are coming! Bonehead, scary spider, owly owl! Yes, the kooky spooks are here. The scary ready-made Halloween costumes that are worn on top of the head. And each kit comes with matching makeup instead of a mask that covers the face. Plus poncho and safety tape. Kooky spook costume kits, nine zany characters to choose from. Oh my gosh, Hoover, I have no memory of these things. And... <laughs> And I just know, I just know I would get stuck with Kooky Owl. And I'd be like, there's nothing scary about this. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I don't want to have a googly-eyed owl head on top of my head, and you're going to paint my face yellow so my face looks like it's the owl's neck. How weird <laughs> is this? What a weird costume. Was that one of those, like, did you get those in stores? Yeah. Or did you have to? Yeah. Oh, oh, my gosh. Did, 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 have you ever seen these, in, like, in real life? I had one, yeah. I don't oh, no. remember what it was, but I remember that inflatable thing on top of my head. Oh, my God. I'm sorry, man. That that feels like you had, like... That that counts for bad childhood experience, <laughs> wearing cookie spooks, walking around the town. Oh, I'm sorry. I'd rather have, like, the Incredible Hulk costume with a drawing of the Hulk on the smock than a cookie spooks. So you can keep that. I'm going to take my speaker and my two Zartans and go home. <laughs> So, now that you've ruined Halloween for me, let's get back to the episode. <laughs> well, as we return, the real Menosaurs flying back to the Decepticons. So let's see what they're up to. The stolen components are in place, and the weapon but minutes from completion. And then... <laughs> and Prime can't help but wonder what Megatron has planned. Back at the Ark, Spike and Bumblebee are finally investigating all of the noise, and they walk in on all their allies lying on the floor with the cell doors blown open. Yeah, and there's another left-to-right pan, and we see all the Autobots sort of like just like lying down as if he took the toy in their standing-up position and just laid it on its back. <laughs> right, just laying it on its back. <laughs> like, there's, there's no apparent damage to everybody. It's like they just got frozen in their standing pose and laid down. <laughs> it's nap time at Autobot headquarters. <laughs> All right, everybody, get up. It's time for your juice. It's time for your juice. <laughs> and then we're going to do finger painting. <laughs> and then the Autobots start to all come to, and Grapple weirdly states, We'll be fine. Yeah, that felt like something got cut. That was weird. Or or maybe like even put in after the fact, like, okay, well, we don't want kids to worry that the Autobots are dead or something. <laughs> that That was a weird little line. But back at the Decepticamp, the most destructive weapon known to Decepticon science has been completed. Megatron dismisses the Constructicons, and the three present, Scrapper, Mixmaster, and I think Hook, all fly off. Perhaps you should not have dismissed them just yet, Megatron. As always, Starscream, you miss the obvious. The weapon is complete, and the Autobots are totally unaware of its very existence. Are they indeed? Now, I don't like this. I feel they're making Starscream too smart here. Mm -hmm. I know he is a scientist, but he's just too suspicious here. Nothing has happened to make him suspicious. I don't mind that they're trying to show Starscream is smart, but I think this is too smart, and it makes Megatron seem really dumb in comparison. They've gotten no clues that the Stunicons are fakes, but he's still onto them. I would have maybe had him be the one who flew above them instead of Laserbeak, and maybe had him overhear the Autobots talking in their normal voices or something. Some actual clue. I don't mind if he deduces it from one clue, but I mind if he deduces it from zero clues. It feels like Glute is just really praising Starscream here and trying to portray him as immensely smarter than Megatron, and that feels wrong to me. Yeah, there. so one of the things that I've been picking up on so far is that Motormaster, Optimus's version of Motormaster, is very agreeable. Would I let you down? Oh, I must have done too much shouting. Oh, I don't know. Whereas I feel like, and maybe maybe Motormaster is agreeable towards Megatron. He's been like, I swear loyalty to you and everything. But 
the one this would be a really cool opportunity to show that maybe the Autobots don't understand the Decepticons worldview enough. Or we could do a story where they understand it all too well, right? They really understand their enemies and so they act really rowdy and obnoxious and maybe even wind up inadvertently hurting each other, right? <laughs> in order mm -hmm. to like prove their point. But Starscream, his, the only thing he's pointed at is like, your voice sounds funny, Motormaster. That's the only thing he said so far. Whereas like, if he would have, if you really want to show him being clever, have him notice that they're behaving more peacefully. Like, he did say like, notice how carefully they're driving, right? But Megatron mm -hmm. had a good, a good counterpoint to that. Well, yeah, they're carrying precious cargo. You know, they don't want to wreck my stuff. But after that, when they're all hanging around a car boat, like, why aren't you transforming, fellas? Or, like, you know, when, when Motormaster makes an excuse, Starscream be like, well, gee, that seems awfully agreeable of you, Motormaster. Picking up on some kind of subtlety in there. Otherwise, yes, it feels like they're just presenting it as, like, he's instantly suspicious for no reason. So somehow he's, like, ultra smart. Yeah. And I feel like this, this is a failure of having only 21 minutes to work with. But also, I feel like you could have worked in something that was, like, a little bit more thematic right uh, again going back to one of our ongoing premises of the series is that like pitting the autobot worldview versus the decepticon worldview is what makes the really memorable episodes and what's funny is i remember a lot of pieces of this episode but i didn't remember this episode as a whole and i probably haven't watched it in 15 years this is mm -hmm. not one that i'm like oh hey let's put on a transformers episode put on masquerade that's mm -hmm. a classic it, this one doesn't feel that way to me even though as I'm watching it, I'm like, gosh darn, there's a lot of characters in this one. The Constructicons are in this one. We've seen a whole bunch of the season one Autobots. We're getting to see characters like Windcharger again. But there isn't like a central idea that's being explored. It doesn't feel like there's a central idea being explored beyond the idea of what would happen if the Autobots like went undercover. And, mm -hmm. and, and I do remember feeling a, a tension on their behalf. Like, oh, I hope Prime doesn't get caught as a kid. As I watch it as an adult, I'm like, there's really not a lot of interesting tension going on here in terms of exploring ideas. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it's just kind of like, it would feel like a better story if something that the Autobots were doing was wrong. And mm -hmm. that's what was tipping Starscream off. Exactly. But they're not really doing anything wrong other than driving safely. Yeah. And and again, I think Motormaster like this this would have been wonderfully explored had Optimus's interpretation of Motormaster been totally off. One way or the other. He played him too kind or he played him too aggressive. Right? Mm -hmm. Maybe he's like because Optimus doesn't have the privilege of knowing what Motormaster and Megatron's relationship is. Right. So maybe he comes in and he's like really brash. He's like, Well, I know Motormaster. He's a he's a blowhard, loudmouth a hole. So I'm gonna come in, I'm gonna push Megatron. I'm gonna push him. <laughs> Like, like John, like, that would have been funny. <laughs> like John Mulaney. I'm just going to push him. <laughs> right? And then like then Megatron would be like, what the heck? You know, maybe that'd be too much. But like something along that line, like he overplays his hand either on one side or the other, revealing his, the shortcoming he has because he, he enters the world as like a compassionate character. That would have been cool. And that would have been, it would have made Starscream seem legitimately smart instead of, given smartness by virtue of the writer saying, oh, right. he's smart. That, yeah, I, th I think that's what we're both responding to here. Well, anyway, Prime lets his inquisitiveness get the best of him. Say, boss, what's that weapon gonna do anyway? What? You've forgotten already? Memory uh, banks must have got jumbled. Too many head-on collisions. Utilizing that ruby's light, 
Focus through those perfect lenses, it will fire the most destructive ray of all. More powerful than any laser, it will create a chain reaction in whatever it touches, producing instantaneous destruction. Megatron daydreams about shooting the Ark with his weapon and pictures them putting up a memorial parking lot in its place, which makes the Autobots antsy. So, Megatron's just building a super gun. (laughs) 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 Go steal these three components. What do the components do? They make a super gun. (laughs) But a super gun with a purple component. That's right. Like, even the description he gave was just like, oh, it'll be like the most... It laser hits the thing, and then it explodes. Okay, Megatron. <laughs> Ooh, you you are running low on the ideas. You went to your yellow pad of paper that you've been working on all season. <laughs> and you got the one that you X'd out at the beginning. You're like, well, <laughs> let's put a circle around that one. <laughs> it says, build super weapon, question mark. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> but just then, the real Menasaur swoops in. Megatron! Megatron! Click! Menasaur! But what's the matter, Megatron? Missing the obvious? I, Megasaur! The Autobots! Those Stunticons are imposters! And then Megatron says there's one absolute test. He tells the Stunticons idling in their vehicle modes to become Menasaur. Soundwave and Starscream pull guns on the foe Stunticons, thinking that these must be Autobots in disguise. And if so, they won't be able to form Menasaur. But to everyone's surprise, especially the audience, they do. Megatron is trying to figure out how there could possibly be two Menasaurs as the two combiners start tussling. The Autobots knock the real Menasaur down, and we hear the Autobots whisper to one another. We're okay as long as my magnetic field holds, and I can keep this phony face. So it's Windcharger's magnetic powers and a hologram from Mirage keeping this faux Bruticus together. Hologram from Mirage? Yeah. Okay. Sure. <laughs> Just then, Soundwave mentions that the real Menasaur has special powers. He can rub his belly and pat his head at the same time. He does it at all the Decepticon parties. No, apparently these special powers are just guns underneath his forearms. See, that also leads back to the Decepticon way of thinking. Yep. These special powers, they're just guns. Yeah, that's right, that's right. (laughs) <laughs> it all goes back to guns and who has the biggest guns so there's there's something deep inside you that makes you special oh is it my soul no it's guns God. <laughs> that yes that is the decepticon way of thinking guess what everybody that's why they're the bad people <laughs> my cars have a secret underarm cannons <laughs> Get a little closer. Don't be shy. (laughs) (laughs) With arid extra death. (laughs) That's pretty good. (laughs) So Menasaur fires on the Autobots, knocking them down, but they manage to keep everyone together. 
Prime notices the Decepticon weapons generator begin to glow, and Megatron does as well. Megatron runs to the cannon, ready to use it on the loser of the Menasaur battle. And here, th this was that moment I was hinting at earlier. It's a tiny line where he's like, oh, well, I get to use this on whoever loses the fight. Um, Megatron, what <laughs> if the real Menasaur loses the fight? Did you think that? <laughs> well, then that he deserved to die. <laughs> then he deserved to die, right? And it's like, it's like this shows that this is the other thing about the villains in these Sunbow cartoons that they don't learn from their mistakes. Because Megatron, after a prime problem, right? Where he almost had them. He almost had them walk into those death crystals and all explode, <laughs> right? But he lost his cool. He said, Spike doesn't matter. And then they, they murdered the, the, the prime clone. And Megatron could have said, like, gee, I wonder where that went wrong. <laughs> but instead, he's just like, you fool, Starscream! Hits Starscream, then walks back to his, his <laughs> office or his, or his den or whatever. He never learns from it. So he's like, here he is again with a, his super gun pointed at both Menasaurs, ready to murder the loser of the fight, because that's how Megatron sees the world. Well, the real Menasaur is running over with his sword in his hand, and one swing knocks down the Autobots, sending them into their individual modes. Thinking the jig is up, they somehow turn off the camouflage paint at will. No need for the disguises anymore! Autobots, transform! Megatron spins the gun their way as the Autobots turn all their weapons on Menasaur. Menasaur rushes them and sends the Autobots flailing down to the ground where they're perfect cannon fodder for Megatron. As Megatron fires, they roll out of the way, causing Megatron to fire more blasts. But Starscream and Soundwave both notice there's something wrong with the weapon. Megatron! Something's wrong! The machine appears unstable. Suggest abandoning it. Suggestion noted and ignored! Megatron fires another blast at a group of Autobots and barely misses. But the weapon begins to short out, causing Megatron to get out of dodge. It overloads and explodes as the Decepticons are blown across the valley. Megatron orders Menasaur to take out the Autobots, but up on the hill, reinforcements have arrived in the form of Warpath, Ironhide, Bumblebee, Wheeljack, Hound, and Ratchet. Menasaur doesn't like the look of this. Too many! Menasaur goes! And he flies off, soon followed by Soundwave, Starscream, and Megatron, who are cutting their losses. Now we can't skim over this. As they're retreating, Menasaur flies off first. Then Starscream says something about, like, oh, are you going to take all these Autobots on yourself? And he transforms and flies <laughs> away. And as he does it, Soundwave takes off and turns into tape deck mode and flies into Starscream's cockpit, leaving Megatron behind. This is a first. So Megatron was the last to retreat, and Soundwave walked out on him. That's, <laughs> so that's another thing. It's like even Soundwave saying, like, this plan was so bad, Megatron, making the super gun. <laughs> You know, I, I don't even feel like I need to stick around for, for the end of this one. <laughs> As the other Autobots pull up, we start to get a better idea of what happened with the weapon. I take it those alterations I made on the ruby did the job. The Decepticons were so busy trying to expose us, they never thought to examine the ruby. Let's roll out! The end. Mm. Nah, it finally feels like we got a good amount of characterization out of the Stunicons. They seem to have their own distinct character voices now. 
though I think I'm still a bit hazy on drag strip. But the other four, I totally feel I could write them in an episode now. And this was kind of a thin plot with a MacGuffin of the Week, but what the characters did in the plot was kind of interesting. I liked that the Autobots sneakily have to take the Stunicon's place. That was pretty far out of their wheelhouse. And that made it a very memorable story that left an impression on me as a kid. And as I said, I didn't like that Starscream immediately distrusted the foe Stunticons. I know Starscream is smart, but like I said, that was a little too smart. Seems like Glute was getting some writing advice from young 1985 Jersey who thought that Starscream was the best Decepticon. <laughs> and I didn't like that Glute didn't seem to get the message that the Stunicons have force fields and all kinds of plot armor that protects them from getting smashed up. You could have had the same stuff happen and say Wheeljack created a device that could counter it or just make it a thing that the Stunicons have to recharge every X hours because I would totally buy that they're too stupid or in Dead End's case, unable to be bothered to remember to regularly recharge. I like that they kept the reveal that the Autobots rigged the Ruby until the very end so we didn't anticipate the cannon's destruction. So that was cool. But the whole camouflage paint thing is almost as ridiculous as invisibility spray. I'd rather Hound and Wheeljack have created some devices that allowed Hound to broadcast his holograms remotely onto the Autobots. But all in all, I found it a pretty enjoyable episode overall. Definitely more of a thumbs up than a thumbs down. However, mm. I'm afraid that we've just seen a handful of Autobots for the last time. And several more we will only see again in the background and never hear again. So this is the end for Inferno, Grapple, Hoist, Mirage, Sideswipe, Tracks, and Trailbreaker. And almost the final appearances for Blue Streak, Hound, Huffer, and Windcharger. Who we will briefly see, but not hear again. Mm. So farewell to all those Autobots. Godspeed. Vaya con Dios, Autobots. Gosh, how do I feel about this one? Yeah, I I don't have big feelings about it now as an adult it's it's fine it's a fine episode it uh i think like you i have more fondness for it from when i watched it as a child just because of the novelty of watching the autobots be sneaky yeah i as an adult i wish that they would have gone further into that explore what does it mean for an autobot to be sneaky that's different for a decepticon to be sneaky can we look at how their different approaches create different outcomes right is mm-hmm. I don't necessarily want to see is Optimus crossing a line in this one. I don't want to see like the Jonathan Archer story arc <laughs> <laughs> with with my Optimus Prime Generation One, but maybe we could explore the trade offs, right? There's 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 an idea that gets explored in a lot of these children morality stories about how the heroes are often hamstrung by the fact that they have a code that they have to adhere to. And the villains are always, they have like an extra latitude because they don't have to obey as many rules unless you get into some kinds of like the, the noble villains, which this series doesn't really have a whole lot of. So yeah, I feel like if it would have had something like that, I would have been more excited about it. 
as it is, I also feel like, like you said, the, there's this weirdness with Mirage creating holograms. It seems like Hound would have been a logical person to be part of this team. The idea of picking the certain Autobots who can fill out in any eventuality. So, like, it should have been Hound and Trailbreaker. So then they could have had the Stundacons four shields, right? And mm. they would have had the holograms of, over their bodies and then Wind Charger to hold them all together into giant robot mode. That would have felt like it was a little bit more thought through. It's funny how, like, they almost tried to be realistic by matching the vehicle modes, but mm -hmm. in trying to be realistic, they had to be unrealistic about their abilities. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, you're right, because Sideswipe was Breakdown. Mm-hmm. Drag Strip was Mirage. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I see why they did that. That makes a lot of sense, that they were finding the analogs for the Stunticons. And then also, I'm just, I'm a little disappointed that Spike is really only there to just yell. You know, like, Optimus, don't! <laughs> oh, wow, Optimus, you did it! Oh, that's not the spike that I love. So, and I know there's not a lot of room in this. Like, you, we've been saying throughout this whole episode, there's this, this episode is very tight. A lot of stuff happens in it, and they don't get to spend a lot of time on anything. So, and then, yes, like you pointed out, the, the Starscream bit, I, I feel like this is a good example of an episode where it's like, what, whatever criticism people throw at these old cartoons, this episode is guilty of a lot of those cri criticisms. Right, the fact that the writing is very obvious and it telegraphs its punches. Wow, the world's best Ruby. Wow, it sure is. And then Starscream being like, "You sound weird." You know, <laughs> those those kinds of things feel like you could read that as like dumbing down to the audience. But then also, like I said, there's there's subtle things in it too, where you have that bit where Optimus is clearly paying a cost for running head to head with Motormaster. And then you do have the bit where he's playing Motormaster and not really getting the character right. They're small things. I wish those would have been louder. And then that I would I think it would this episode would have a stronger case against the what I would consider to be incomplete critique of children's cartoons of the time. But I watch it now and I think it's if you are a Transformers fan, it is a perfectly good episode. Because like you said, whoever there's a ton of characters in it and they do a lot of interesting things. And like you said, also, we finally get some characterization out of the Stunticons. Dead End clearly stealing the show. Mm -hmm. Breakdown doing a thing where he suddenly mispronounces words all the time, which yeah. I don't think has anything to do with his tech spec, but it's, you know, that's a gag that gets used in a lot of these cartoons of that time, too, right? So it's fine. Alan Oppenheimer does it great, mm -hmm. but is this the last time we see the Stunticons, too? <laughs> At least, well, let me put it this way, until like a few cameos in season three. Yeah, they don't, they definitely don't get a lot of coverage in season three, but they're around. Yeah, but right. But like, as far as like characterization, this might be it. <laughs> well, Dead End has some pretty cool lines in Five Faces of Darkness. And in The Burden Hardest to Bear. So yeah, mm -hmm. we get a little bit with those two. At least Wild Rider in Dead End. But yeah, yeah, so... That's a bummer too, but it's fine. It's it, yeah, I I don't have anything like super negative to say about it. It's just I don't have anything to really celebrate about this one. And I think the things that I look for in it are are there, but they're just they're kind of obscured by a lot of other plotty stuff. And yeah, and, and then also the super laser, I feel like that feels like a first draft idea. Mhm. Mm a lot of this, I mean, this is a really good first pass at a script. Mm -hmm. But it seems like a lot of things needed to be sort of tightened up or worked out and just didn't get to happen. And 
to be fair, we're 64 episodes in. I don't know how many episodes of the actual show we've talked about, but it's it's well over 50. So try come up with 50 original energy grabbing or right. planet destroying plots, right? That's 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 a tall order. So I get that. But super laser. <laughs> <laughs> it just gets put another angle on the laser. Okay, this is a laser that can also do X, right? Mm-hmm. This is a laser that can pass through any organic matter and only hits inorganic matter, right? So what does that mean? I could shoot through a forest and hit Autobot headquarters and blow it up, right? I don't need to be in front of it. Oh, that's interesting. That's something unique. Yeah. But you get what I'm saying. It's just that when, when we get to the point where it's like, what's this thing do anyway? Ah, it's a laser that when it hits things, they disintegrate. <laughs> okay. It's a gun and it suits things. Oh. <laughs> hmm. Sounds interesting, boss. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So it's just like a little bit of like, I don't know, a little bit of stuff I don't get super excited about. But it's fine. It's a good episode. But I, I'll, I'll probably be another 10 years before I watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least we got a lot of characters dropped in, making mm-hmm. little cameos and stuff, just to remind us, hey, this character still exists. Yeah, it was, it, and a lot of really cool pans. Like, there was a lot of really great visual storytelling in this one. Not super awesome visual storytelling, but they they compensated for kind of the rough animation with a lot of neat wide shots through the use of panning left and right. So that's that's something to watch out for. There's a lot of, like, if you want to do some screen capping to make some Panini sticker collages, there's mm-hmm. a lot of great shots in this that you could do that with. But th- there was nothing that I saw in this episode that was so visually arresting. Like, like even in Day of the Machines, there was stuff like, yeah, this I- the story idea is weak. The the battles are, like, really don't feel like much is on the line. But, boy, does it look good, you know? Mm-hmm. There wasn't even anything like that in this one. So I feel like it was just, like, it's it's fine. It's This was, this was an afternoon of macaroni and cheese. It was by no means... <laughs> You know, it's okay. It, yeah, yeah. It, it, but it, it wasn't Lunchables. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, what do we got next? Well, next up is the very last episode of season two. Oh my goodness! Bot. B O T. B O T. An acronym. B period O period T period. Huh. I wonder what it stands for. And that is on Doobie. At season two, episode forty-nine, the very last one in the season two row, and then we get to start talking about Transformers the movie. Oh my gosh! Well, but before that, we're gonna talk about all the new Autobots we've met in the past ten or so episodes. All the new Decepticons we've met. Mm-hmm. Gotta discuss them before we practically <laughs> leave them behind for some brand new toys. Yep. All right. Well, thank you for this discussion, Hoover. It's always a pleasure to meet with you weekly and talk about the Transformers. And thanks, everybody, for downloading and listening. If you want your very own can of invisibility spray with which you can break into any headquarters and steal whatever you want, give us a five-star review wherever you listen to us. That helps more people find the show. And if you want your very own camouflage spray where you just spray it on yourself and then project an image of whatever, I mean, you could be George Clooney tomorrow. You could be The Rock. You could be Angelina Jolie. <laughs> All you got to do is put the spray on your body and then project an image of them onto you, and boom. Who needs deep fakes when you can have camouflage spray? How do you get it? 
How do you get it, Jersey? Well, I'll tell you. You write a review. Write a few sentences about what you like about what Hoover says, what I say, what you like about the Transformers. Wherever you listen to the podcast, write a review. And if, if you listen to it on a platform that doesn't offer reviews, well, you could go to one of those social medias and write those things there. That's a way of giving us a review, too, and then link to the podcast that helps more people find the show as well. And thank you to everybody who does that. Thanks to everybody who reshares and tells their friends about 4 million years later. It means a lot to us. Is there any other action they can take to continue to fool Megatron but not Starscream and otherwise <laughs> blow up Megatron's super gun? You can go to our TeePublic store at tpublic.com slash user slash 4 million years later. And you see nifty designs that can be yours on baby onesies and other items. You could become a walking billboard for the podcast. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? That's what, that's Why the question I have. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> All right. Well, we record the show weekly, and it drops on Thursdays at 4millionyearslater.com and in podcatchers everywhere. Thanks, to everybody, for downloading and listening. Until next time, I have been Jersey Drozd of 4millionyearslater.com and rss.jdros.com for everything I make. And I have been Hoover. Okay, bye. Goodbye. Episode synopses are from imdb.com and some episode information taken from tfwiki.net. The closing theme is by Nick Mahalik, based on the original closing theme by Ford Kinder and Ann Bryant. You can find more of Nick's music at soundcloud.com slash nicholas-mahalik. That's spelled... N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S dash M-E-H-A-L-I-C-K Find us on Facebook under 4 Million Years Later and you can email us at 4millionyearslater at gmail.com Visit 4millionyearslater.com and if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. You know how it works. Megatron daydreams about shooting the Ark with this weapon and imagine it, imagine is, he imagines, you know, when you imagine is something. Hi, I write for IMDb. <laughs> Put that in the outro. <laughs> this show is sponsored by Imagine is Mattresses. <laughs> Where all your dreams come true. <laughs> <laughs>